Um, we're just going to begin with just a little stillness. I'm going to read a uh, very short passage um, and a poem by one of our patron saints, Padraig O'Tuma. Can you be a patron saint if you're still alive? Um, maybe. We'll see. Oh, whoops. Did I even put it on? Apparently not. You're just going to have to listen to it. Only half of the PowerPoint made it. Again, probably a blessing. So this is a passage of um, some people who are walking along and then talked to a stranger, uh, only later to find out there was actually Jesus they were talking to, which credit to them, they weren't expecting because he had just been crucified. So, you know, let's not be too harsh. Um, They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Luke 24, verse 32. Podrick's poem in response to that is this. Hidden Jesus, wandering along the way like a stranger, hidden along the way in many stories and many faces. May we listen to our hearts when they burn with life, knowing that you are speaking to us, because you are along the way with us in the faces of many strangers. Amen. So today is Resurrection Sunday in the Christian calendar, except obviously for the Greek Orthodox, who are probably right. It's uh, next week, but, you know, they can't have everything. They've already got lamb. Um, In the tradition, it's a day of triumph, having dimmed the lights on Maundy Thursday as Jesus is led to the cross, having relived the crucifixion, remembering Jesus nailed to a cross by a violent empire, handed over by a people hoping for a violent revolution, having sat with the disciples in despair at the death of their friend, a failed Messiah, watching as their hopes and dreams are crushed, the words of Jesus ringing out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Having sat in the emptiness of Holy Saturday, not knowing what is to come, sitting with the grief of abandonment, feeling around for meaning, the tiny flame of hope we once carried on its last legs. We arrive at Easter Sunday, the day of surprise, as unexpected as the death of goodness, we're confronted with a rush of hope and are offered something that feels too good to be true. It is the claim that Jesus is risen, that death is defeated, and that all is not lost. If your body this morning meets that with suspicion, you're not alone, because that too is in the story. I am a mongrel Christian in many senses. (laughs) Uh, My faith background is varied. It's made up of a tapestry of things, many of which I have love for and many of which I meet with great suspicion and some with concern. Um, But liturgy was never a really big part of the tradition I was raised in. And so when I encountered it for the first time and went to my first Easter Sunday service with some kind of resurrection, um, the confidence (laughs) surprised me. Because if you look across the liturgies of um, liturgical churches, which are churches that kind of follow a set pattern and and their services um, have a common group of readings that get read every year, this is the Sunday where we should be gathering saying, he is risen, 
And all of you will reply, he is risen indeed. Good, some of you come from that place. Um, and I was reading a few liturgies this week as I was sitting with Easter Sunday coming, and there's something inspiringly confident about it. And for those of you who know me, you already know that I'm going to mess all of this up. But <laughs> going to poke holes in everything. But there's something just heartwarmingly triumphant about it, if you can grasp that. Um, and it struck me how wonderful it would be for a person like me to be able to give myself to hope and celebration as easily as I give myself to cynicism and despair. Um, some of you will hear that phrase, he is risen, and something in you wells up in triumph and great joy. And some of you will sit there and go, and what difference does that make tomorrow as I am at work trying to think about a physical body coming back to life and explain that to my colleagues? Fortunately, the church often describes this as the Easter mystery, which can be translated, there's wiggle room. <laughs> we don't really know how this works, but we'll try and find ways of understanding something very strange. Pause for costume change. This isn't actually part of it. My T-shirt's not meaningful. I'm just very hot. <laughs> These are snap pants, though, so prepare yourself for later in the service. <laughs> what does it mean to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead on a cold Melbourne morning? In the disenchanted West, it feels ridiculous. Maybe it doesn't for you, but it does for me. <laughs> Obviously, a fairy tale from primitive zealots, naively parroted by well-meaning yokels down through history. But for those of us who are torn between struggling with the logistics of a dead body returning to life and a deep longing for a universe that's more than just atoms and dust, how might we hold Resurrection Sunday? Is it possible to open ourselves to the idea that all may be made well, that love can surprise what do we do with he is risen in a disenchanted world and in a community that sits in a range of places with enchantment? The resurrection can mean many things. And church tradition's done lots of stuff with it over the years. And one of our jobs, I guess, as people who try and follow Jesus is to understand what it meant to the people before us and then understand what it means to us now. Were their words echoing in our ears, but understanding that we are in a different place of history, in a different context, and we have permission to wrestle with that. It can mean many things, but for today I just want to hone in on one thing, and that's the possibility of hope. In Jewish thought, the idea of resurrection wasn't around for a very, very long time. In the Hebrew Bible, there's kind of references to Sheol and the underworld and various things. But resurrection itself didn't, there's no real strong evidence for it any time before 200 BC. So you're getting like into the intertestamental period. Um, and it's curious the context that the idea of resurrection came in. Resurrection. Um, for and not for not for all Jews back then, but for some held to this idea that one day all of the faithful, all of God's people will all rise together, that God would meet 
them in the in-between space and then recreate um, heaven and earth into this place of peace. We sung about um, O Day of Peace today as kind of reference to that very quaint idea of animals lying down together and plowshares, uh, of, of, of weapons being formed into farming equipment, of peace between people, which um, seems all very nice and all very twee and all very lovely, but all <laughs> a little impossible. Um, this idea rose up in a very specific context and place. Um, you're dealing with a people who had been taken captive, freed from slavery, bounced back to their own... Um, they bounced back to build their own nation before dividing, having their capital sieged and their nation smashed by a more powerful empire. Their best and their brightest stolen away. People driven to the hunger where, point of hunger where they considered eating their own children. Dragged away, only to come back and to rebuild once again, only to see empire after empire attack them. And finally, be held captive in their own land by the Roman Empire. These are people whose story tells them that they are chosen, that they are special, that God would make a place for them in the world and not abandon them. And this is the story that they've clung on to for hundreds and hundreds of years. At the heart of it, for a people who had been promised that they were God's own, that God would make space for them, this simply couldn't be it. Justice had not been done for countless too many people. Their ancestors' blood had been spilt, their bones had been ground into the dust that was meant to be home. The only way they could dream of things being made right to all who had passed was if God could bring back all those who had never tasted justice and restore them to their land together as a free people. Resurrection was the desperate hope that death, destruction, and violence wouldn't have the last word, that God was still at work, resisting those, resisting those who made a mockery of goodness, who used their power to crush and oppress rather than to lift up those brought low, that the might of armies wasn't the strongest force known to humankind. Resurrection rose up in the context of a beaten down people who were desperate to cling to anything, any idea that maybe the world could be good and that maybe it might all be made okay. And if you've lived through generations of that, you can probably understand <laughs> that call that surely this isn't all the world amounts to, is us just getting smashed into pieces over and over again. We won't get into the weeds of all the ways the very odd story of Jesus rising from the dead was understood by Jesus' early followers. Um, interestingly, what was odd for them was that one person would rise rather than everyone together. That's where their main arguments were, whereas our main arguments is whether a body can come back at all. <laughs> um, but I'll say that among other things, one of the interpretations of it is they saw it as a vindication of Jesus' life, that the systems of scapegoating and violence and strong empires would not win in the end, that Jesus, the one who stood with the marginalized, who refused violence, that Jesus would have the last word, that Jesus would be able to speak for those who had been wronged, that death was not the end, that lives cut short would truly have a chance to live. Uh, and that brings me to a conversation with my seven-year-old. He has two modes, um, offline mode and online mode. Offline mode happens for about seven or eight minutes every three days, and you make the most of it. He'll wake up uh, next to you in bed, and his body will be offline 
And in those like drowsy few minutes, he's not kicking you. <laughs> he's not asking for snacks. Um, his body's not twitching. He's still and actually just wants to cuddle. And sometimes, every now and again, offline mode happens at nighttime too. Um, Hemi's on the spectrum, which explains a lot of this conversation. It's just an important frame of reference. <laughs> um, sometimes at nighttime, he's in offline mode too. And his body is still for once. Um, and one night after a pretty tough day, <laughs> we were, he wanted me to lay with him as he went to sleep. And we lay there and had this conversation. I was telling him, um, mostly believing it, how happy I was that we had so many years together. I've, I'm so glad we have so many years with you to play and to laugh and to cuddle and to play pranks on each other and to do stuff. We've got a whole life together ahead of us. And look, sometimes at the end of a day, you're, you're mostly lying at that point, but you're clinging on to believing that that's true. <laughs> uh, Hemi's little rational brain kicks in. How many years? I don't know. Probably a lot. Hmm. You'll die first, right? Yeah, most often. Parents don't always die first, but usually they do. How many years? We need specifics. Mm, don't know. Maybe 20, 30, maybe 40 years we'll be together. Or 50? Maybe. And then you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> eventually. And then I'll die? Yeah. Eventually. And then what happens? Does it just go black? I don't know. No one knows. But people's, people have got lots of ideas. What do you think happens? This kid will not let evasive answers slip by. We need the concrete. I don't know for sure. But some people say that God is love. And that love is the thing that holds the whole universe together. But God isn't real. <laughs> Again. Sam's interested in the idea of God, little imagination. Hemi, not so much. <laughs> Maybe. But sometimes when I feel love, I feel like God is in it. Okay, says Hemi. Still too abstract. I'm trying. I'm trying to see how much abstraction I can get away with. Very little is the answer. Well, try this. If God is love, and love is very strong, and God loves us so much, and we love each other so much, maybe there's a way that even dying can't stop us from loving each other. Maybe God's love holds us, all of us, and that God makes a way for us to be together even after we die. Very long pause. Long pauses don't happen very often in this life. That makes me very sad, says Hemi. Does it? Is that because we're talking about dying? No. 
but I have tears on my face. <laughs> At this point, a sensory computer kicks in and says, my face is wet. <laughs> I don't know entirely why, but it's wet. There are tears, and tears are sad, therefore I must be sad. And my nose is running, but I haven't made the connection between nose and tears yet, so I'm just very frustrated all the time that my nose runs when I have big emotions. Oh, are they sad tears? I don't know. Maybe a different kind of tears? Maybe. Sometimes, he says, when someone sends you a really nice letter and you read it, you like it so much that you have tears on your face. Ah, oh, like happy tears or loved tears. Yeah, feeling loved tears. Is that because you like the idea of us getting to be together for a long time? I think so. Me too. Anyway, do you know what my Rubik's Cube personal best is? Slam shut end of conversation. It's this that makes me want to believe. Not just in a naive, deluded, hopeful kind of way, but a deeply resonant kind of way. I've genuinely experienced the world in a way that points beyond the material. I can't shake the feeling that the world carries meaning, and I think consciousness is something close to a miracle. For a range of complex reasons, I don't actually believe that it requires God to meddle with any form of laws of nature to be involved with the world, but that's a story for another day. I deeply resonate with the idea that love runs underneath the very fabric of the universe, calling all of creation towards good and loving possibilities. Just because I deeply resonate with it doesn't think that I don't think there's any other options. But I don't want evil to win. I don't want to be left with despair. I'm tired of fighting injustice and I don't want that fight to be pointless. I don't want to feel like it's just down to me to fix the world. I don't want the young mother who dies in a refugee camp, her whole life one of survival, to have that as the sum total of her life. I don't want to believe that ultimately we are alone. I don't want violence and scapegoating to win. I don't want the systems that do violence against the powerless to have the last word. I don't want to believe that evil and ego and brute force has won and that their voices, the voices of the victims, will forever be silent. I want an enchanted universe. I need a relational universe. I want to believe that the fabric of the universe is love, that the connection between us is part of something bigger. I want to believe that the victims of history have not been ground into the dust without vindication without a chance to live. I want love to conquer death. I don't want this to be the end. I want to be able to hold those I love again. For me, it's darkness and transcendence that bring the possibility of resurrection closer. When I'm brought close to the injustice of the world, it seems necessary. When I'm brought so close to the beauty of the world, hugging a kid, a bear with a friend, a concert that makes your heart sore. At those moments, it feels like anything is possible. In those times, this kind of love, the possibility of something greater than ourselves being at work, isn't just something I want, 
but something that actually feels deeply true. The tradition tells us this is a mystery. The tradition tells us that God saves. The tradition tells us that resurrection is the vindication of victims. It tells us that love conquers death. It tells us that the powerful don't have the last word. It tells us that this is not the end of the story. I honestly don't have a clue about what happens or what it might look like, and I'm very open to being wrong, and there are many days where I don't believe this very much at all. But sometimes it's brought really close. For me, at the very least, the resurrection story is a flicker of hope that love is real, that justice is worth pursuing, and that we're not alone in the universe. At the very most, on my best days, it'll be the idea that all will be made well. Maybe we will dwell in peace. Maybe the victims of history will see justice. Either way, for now, I'm happy spending my life believing that deep care for all of creation is worthwhile, even if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm deluded, but that's a chance I'm willing to take. Ultimately, I hold hope like a fragile candle, which doesn't normally look even as strong as that one, because it's the light through which I can see the beauty in the world. Some of you today will sit with confidence in resurrection, will sit with confidence with the idea of everlasting life, of God being present and coming in some kind of triumph. Some of you will sit very uncomfortably with that, and some of you will sit in between, and all of those things are okay. But this morning, I would love it to be an invitation to, at the very least, some kind of hope that the beauty in this world stands for something, that goodness is something that goes beyond just ourselves, that the universe may indeed have love running through it. Um, Graham's going to sing a song for us while um, we take part in a practice of hope and connection. Um, This is a Paul Kelly song that we sing every now and again, and my Pentecostal roots um, shudder when we get to particular bits because (laughs) uh, there's some really bad reading of this theology, which is about escaping earth. Um, But we continue to sing it because there's some beauty in it, and a better reading of the theology in it is the idea Not that we escape earth, but that God is present here and that we welcome God into the space. Um, And there's something very Terence Malick vague about it, for those of you who enjoy film, um, about this ungraspable hope that maybe all things will be made well, that maybe we will not be alone. So this morning, whatever this Resurrection Sunday means for you, There's a bunch of candles here. Um, If you would like to come and light one as a symbol of hope um, before you grab communion, then you're more than welcome to do that. You can stand by and say a little prayer with it first if you like. Um, If you just want to invite hope into your world.